Hello, this is international football commentator Derek Ray, and you're listening to the Ranks FC podcast. Rank Squad and welcome to the Ranks FC podcast. This is your favourite football podcast back for another week. My name is Jack Collins and I will be your host today. And joining me is our transfer guru, Mr. Dean Jones. Hello, mate. Hello, mate. Just a two-man job today. Sam continues to recover from his illness. Sickno Anderton is back in business for uh, (laughs) for another week. He is called Sickno now. We've decided that on the Patreon. If you're not on the Patreon, that's the kind of content you are missing out on. Us giving Sam nicknames like that. But um, yeah, it's it's fine, mate. It's fine. We're, uh, I mean, you and Sam did about three weeks without me, so we we can go without him. Yeah, you're missing out on the Antonio content over on Patreon. And today we're going to be talking about Antonio Conte, who is the new Spurs manager. We're going to be talking with Nathan Clark of the Extra Inch podcast about what five things Conte needs to do in his time as Spurs boss in order to turn the club around after a couple of, let's say, dud managerial appointments, shall we? Let's put it that way. And before we get on to all of that, though, we're going to start, as usual, with things we love. And Dean, you're going to kick us off this week yeah absolutely and and the thing I love at the moment is is West Ham to be honest I never thought I would say that um not really in my DNA to love much about West Ham but they are absolutely flying in the Premier League in Europe and in the Carabao Cup um and David Moyes needs his his moment in the sun for this because he is doing an unbelievable job um, West Ham, you know, they don't get a lot of um, airtime on the big stations, whether it's radio, TV, podcasts, websites, whatever. They're rarely the lead item, but they they need to start getting that respect. And that's why they're getting their little moment here uh, on ranks. He's reminding us all really why Man United appointed him all those years back and the potential that he has to actually manage and coach a team. So this is a proper team uh, West Ham have now. They are utilising their strengths individually, but playing as a unit and reaping the benefits of that. Other clubs that have been unstable, Man United, Arsenal, Tottenham, now have to hope really that the lack of depth at West Ham means that they lose some momentum because at the moment, West Ham are looking pretty strong to become a Champions League contender in terms of finishing fourth now it's still a stretch there's still a long way to go this season um and it is that one thing about the depth pool that makes you think they won't quite do it but David Moyes has got so much right in the past 18 months that I wouldn't put it past him absolutely nailing this it'll be interesting to see how they approach the second half of the season especially if this European run continues uh, but can they get a trophy in the bag? Obviously, they've beaten Man City on penalties. Declan Rice, one of the best players in the Premier League. Mikel Antonio, absolutely transformed over the past couple of years. They're playing some great football. When they don't play great football, they've got a grit and determination and togetherness that is unlike almost every other team in the English top flight. So if you're not watching West Ham, start to watch them. Um, if you thought, David Moyes was a dud. You're wrong. He's a he is legit. 
and he he's deserves a, he's respect. He's a stud, mate. He's a, he's stud, a stud, not a dad. David Moyes is a stud. <laughs> there you go. Um, th- there's, he's been remarkable, hasn't he? Uh, this second term at, at West Ham has been, well, I mean, nothing short of incredible. I mean, look, and, and I think maybe the the great thing about this and the reason that I, I would join you on the things we love tech train here, because I also love him what West Ham are doing at the moment, is that I think a lot of West Ham fans thought they might have missed the nadir of all of this, right? Yeah. Last year, not being able to get into the stadium, not being able to enjoy it in its full capacity because it was all behind closed doors. This season, having to compete on a couple of fronts, obviously being in the Europa League, in the Cups, and then trying to maintain a league form on top of that with a squad that a lot of people said was too small to be able to do that. I think there was a little bit of skepticism over whether West Ham could repeat what they were doing. And yet they are steaming onwards. Um, and it is so enjoyable to watch and look, they're top of their Europa League group. They've won three from three. They look pretty much set to qualify for the knockout stages. They've just knocked Man City out of the Carabao Cup. Uh, albeit on penalties, but that was a, a Man City team that hadn't lost in this competition for pretty much five years. Um, and they're fourth in the Premier League. These are heady days if you're a West Ham fan. They haven't even got to the FA Cup yet, which is historically their best competition. Yeah, mate. They are loving it. They really are. Their fan base are lapping up every single moment of this. Yeah, literally, this is a once-in-a-lifetime moment, potentially, and they, they have to just ride this train for as long as they can. And we know they'll have to use you know, 13, 14 players and hope that they all stay fit. They'll just have to play them until they collapse because (laughs) they're doing so well. Like somehow they are churning out the same team again and again. And at the moment, they're maintaining a level. Obviously, they'll at some point suffer a couple of setbacks and it'll all be about how they bounce back from that. But because of what we've seen from Moyes so far and his staff around him in helping this team recover from anything like that, I've got faith in them and until I see otherwise, I'm saying that West Ham have got a good chance of being in that conversation at the end of the season for certainly European football game, potentially Champions League football. Yeah, it's glorious. It's a glorious time to be a West Ham fan. So enjoy it, Hammers, while you can. Enjoy it. Um, I'm going to take us to Italy in shock news. and <laughs> news that shocked nobody. Uh, I want to talk about Gio Simeone who is second now in the Capo Cannoniere stakes and with eight goals. It's just been a remarkable turnaround. Obviously, the first three games of the season, Hellas Verona had Eusebio Di Francesco in charge. They got rid of him after two losses and a draw, which a lot of people thought was a bit harsh considering one of the losses was Inter. Um, but they got they, they got rid of him and they brought in Igor Tudor. And since then, they have been absolutely ludicrously fun. Um, and leading the way is Gio Simeone. Now, in this time, since they've taken a city's taken over, they've had eight games. They've scored twenty-one goals, and eight of them have been Simeone. And on top of that, uh, he's got three assists as well. So he is now responsible, should we say, for over fifty percent of Hellas's goals in that time. I think there's always a chat around D- uh, Gio Simeone about the fact that. People are like, oh, is he only there because his dad was good at football and his dad's a good manager, et cetera, et cetera. And it's really harsh. And I know he gets a lot of criticism from kind of various aspects, including from Sam, who's not a massive fan not of GSM. Not at all. Yeah. I remember watching him you know, at Fiorentina and thinking that the, the makings are a really good player were there. He's never, I don't think, going to be a player that sets the entire world on fire. But on the whole, I think he's like a more than capable footballer who has just kind of always got a bit of, of, of stick for not you know, for no real fair reason. And look, they are incredibly fun to watch. He scored four goals 
against Lazio last uh, last week. Then he scored two against Juventus this week. Two starts, six goals. Not bad, eh? Uh, against Lazio and Juve as well. Now, obviously, score four against the team that your dad basically maybe had his best years for as a player. Uh, there's always going to be that. And then after the Juve game, the first question he was asked was, are you continuing a family tradition of bullying Juventus? And he was like, can you still talk about my dad? I, <laughs> yeah. scored, I scored six goals in a week. Can we, yeah. uh, can we maybe talk about the fact that I'm, I'm really good? Um, but the second goal in particular gets out of his feet on the edge of the box and curls an absolute beauty home. Um, now, Juve are having a tough time again. We thought they might have turned a corner. They haven't turned a corner by, by the looks of things. It's been been rough again from, from that kind of perspective. But Hellas, on the other hand, are flying and I think just deserve some credit and Gio Simeone in particular um just that's just a remarkable turnaround you know 11 goal contributions from 10 Serie A games this season and you know pretty much every game he started but one he's managed to contribute with a goal or an assist in and I think that's pretty remarkable um, yeah I think he's going to have continue having a very very good season over there and there are going to be people looking at him and going Okay, twenty six years old on a on a bit of a hot streak here. Maybe maybe we'll take a gamble because it's a good time to hit form, isn't it? Yeah, it's a great time to hit January form. window coming up. He's just ended Juve's chances of winning Serie A. Sixteen points behind now. I say that slightly tongue in cheek, but he might have. It might well have done. Um, I, I think the funniest bit about this, maybe, and and or maybe not funny. That's maybe the wrong word that I would use. Is that Gio Simeone is on loan from Cagliari. Mm who are rock bottom mm. of Serie A. They've lent him out. They were like, oh, we don't need him anymore. We're fine. And now find themselves bottom of the league. Cali are going to be like, well, I mean, what, what's happened here? Like, this is a nightmare. That is yeah. not, not what anybody maybe wants to be looking at. He's just having a, maybe he's just having a Pogrebniak moment. And for anyone that doesn't know what that means, he's a player that joined Fulham, scored, was it four or five games in a row? Five games in a row. Five yeah. games in a row after joining. Pretty much with his first, his only five shots for Fulham. And people were like, oh my days, who is this player? If you watched an entire match he was playing, you'd have known that he wasn't actually that good. But on surface level, it looked like Fulham had signed a superstar. As it was, that was as good as it got. And um, yeah, it was all downhill from there. But maybe Simeone's just having his Pogrebniak moment. That's what I reckon. I don't think so, mate. I think you, you actually look at his numbers throughout his career and they've just been pretty fine. Like when he's got starts, he's tend to have scored goals and that's that's exactly where we are. So yeah, I think we uh, I think we'll give him some credit, I think, where right, it's due enough. here. Gio Simeone, very, very, very impressive. Um and look, Serie A continues to be excellent while the, the top two have pulled away. Everyone from Roma in fourth are on nineteen points. Okay, and then Udinese in fourteenth, they're on eleven. There's eight points between seven places. It this is an absolutely massive gap. So you know we're looking at some some really impressive stuff, and it's going to be really tight. I think around the the top ten in particular, in terms of looking for that last Champions League spot, those Europa League spots, it's going to be really interesting. And, and even if the the top two, and I think it will actually end up being the top three, pull away from the pack here. Uh, in Inter Milan and Napoli, I think that it will uh, it'll be really interesting to see that fourth spot, fifth spot, um, and how it plans out from there, especially with Juve in this rut once again. Um, with that, I think probably time to move from, well, from Serie A to a former Serie A boss uh, who's back in the Premier League. After the break, we're going to be talking about Antonio Conte, who is the new manager of Tottenham Hotspur. Don't go anywhere. <laughs> 
Welcome back to the Ranks FC podcast, where we're about to get into our main ranking. Now, Sam isn't with us, as you could probably tell, um, but we are going to talk about Tottenham and how things are going to play out under Antonio Conte. And, and to help us with that, we've brought in uh, somewhat of an expert in the subject, brought in Mr. Nathan A. Clark from the Extra Inch podcast, Tottenham fan uh, and a tactics guru. So, Nathan, thank you so much and welcome to Ranks. Thank you. I'm not just Sam with the new look for anyone who's confused. <laughs> <laughs> it's, uh, it's, it's one of those, just a quick switch, a quick substitution. But Nathan, yeah. it feels like a, a real moment, this, for Spurs. And, and we're going to look at the ways in which Conte needs to basically turn around this team. It's been a bit of a funny season. I think it's probably worth putting just the context of, of how things have gone under Nuno from a Spurs perspective in before we, we get into the change around. Sure. Yeah. Okay. So. Huh. The thing with Nuno is that it always felt like it was going to be short term. It always seemed like he was going to be something of a um, a bit of a glorified caretaker. You know, we obviously went through a series of, of options um, in the summer and, and then landed on him. And I feel my feeling at the time was that like we wanted sort of stability. We wanted to make sure that our next manager was like you know the man. Um, one of those wasn't available, so we brought in Nuno for the time being. Um, and that went worse than we were expecting because, yeah, you know, he the fitness was improving and, yeah, sort of defensively things were coming on a bit, but there was just nothing on the ball at all. And you can't just coast through a season with, like, you know, 10 shots a game. It's just there's nothing going on there. So um, <laughs> we had to we had to make that change and, and get get the next, you know, serious coach in first. Yeah, I mean, this must be a, a pretty exciting time to be a Spurs fan in terms of not you know, the way that things are going to suddenly become incredibly expansive and exciting on the pitch. But you bring in Antonio Conte and you see exactly how things are have worked for in the past. And suddenly you're going, right, we've got one of the top five managers in the world at the club. That is a massive coup at this point. It's huge. It's huge. Um, I mean, I, I think it is kind of expansive. It's like it, it's expansive when we have the ball. It's less expansive when we don't okay, have sure, the ball. Yeah. Um, he, obviously he's like he's a bit old school he's a bit of a disciplinarian um, you know he's a <laughs> he likes to shout and all those kind of things that you would associate with sort of yesterday's manager but the football on the ball all the patterns all the all the drills all the shaping that's 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 sort of really up to date with with uh, you know the hipsters choice managers I think <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Right then, let's um let's get into this five. It's going to be five ways that Conte needs to turn around Tottenham and and you're going to rank them for us and we'll work through them 5 to 1 and yeah, see where we go from there. 5 to 1. Okay. <laughs> right. So number 5 is exit calmly. Right? <laughs> it's, it's a weird place to start. But basically, obviously Conte everywhere he goes, basically he wins. Um the football's incredible. They they blow teams away. Um Two years later, everyone's sick of him. He's trying to push for double the budget he spent last summer. <laughs> All the players have been running the same high-intensity drills over and over again, and things don't end that well. And so <laughs> what we want to make sure happens is that for everything Conte is going to bring in, which is what we're going to talk about in a minute, we need to make sure that... Um, he doesn't cause like damage on the way out. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely blow everything apart. I mean, yeah. I mean, you're right. We've seen it before. It's a weird place to start. I agree, but it, it does make sense because I guess what you're looking at in Conte, not necessarily short termism in terms of how Nuno was perceived, for example, but short termism in that it's not someone that you think is going to be in charge of the club for the next five years. 
he's not he's not building a long term project, right? This isn't about. I mean, a lot of the the implication about what Daniel Levy's been talking about uh, last summer was like not saying Pochettino, but implying the next Pochettino with with his choice yeah. of words. And this is not that. This isn't like building something that's going to last a long time. This is just a really good coach who's available now to come in and, and get us playing good football. Yeah, I mean, look, ultimately, not not many managers are getting longer than two seasons, no, whether it's Tottenham or elsewhere. Sure. I mean, you look at Tottenham, like, you know, Mourinho didn't get to two years. Um, you know, Pochettino obviously got five seasons, but that's rare. Sherwood got a season. VS Boas got about a season. Redknapp got longer. Uh, but Ramos... He didn't. So it's it's not that bad a thing if if it's two years and you've managed to have some some glory during that two years, but it also ends in um, an unhappy divorce. Then so be it. I mean, most managerial appointments don't end well anyway, no matter what. So you know whether it sure. ends up being a club legend or whether it's somebody with no ties to the club. So I don't think it really matters. I think this is all about changing the mentality of the club, isn't it? Sure, sure. I mean, the the only thing, uh, according to to reports out, is that he has. Uh, in order to land the job, we've had to hand over a lot of power, a lot of control over transfers. So it's about having any budget left for, you know, the summer after he goes and the summer after that. Yeah, that kind of I mean, Levy's but, had to do that, hasn't he? Because he, like, he, he, let's face it, Nuno was a cheap option. He thought he'd found a way to to get out of paying off Mourinho and getting in a new boss on the cheap and thought he'd, he'd you know, get longer than he did, longer than four months out of it. But ultimately, he's had another payoff and he's just had to accept that, you know, the budget's gone for a little bit and they're going to have to dig deep beyond now. But um, yeah, that's that's a fair point. You know, let's hope that it's not a, too bad a fallout at the end. It, well, I mean, there's there's that element as well of that he's worked with Paratici before, right? And and so I suppose there is, yes, the handover of power in, in that regard, Nathan. But if there is that relationship between them, and look, no, I'm not here to say that their relationship is good, bad, or indifferent at the moment because it's been a long time since they worked together. But the, the fact that they know each other and there must be some sort of rapport you'd hope in in how things are going to pan out here is probably a good thing in terms of looking more long term and going okay yes you have a budget yes you have more power in terms of transfers than managers before you have had but you're also working within the constraints of someone that you vaguely respect you'd imagine well it's funny that he 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 left Juve when he was working with Beppe Morata and Paratici and um, did this big thing where he complained about like you can't go to a, a hundred dollar restaurant with with ten dollars in your pocket or whatever, and then since then he's worked directly with Pepe Morata at Inter, and now he's going to work directly with Verratti at Spurs. So I mean, I guess there's there's some room for repairing things there. Yeah, for sure. All right, what's in at number four? Number four is so originally I wrote down Harry Kane's name here, but I'm, I'm rephrasing it to excite the star players, right? It's not just Harry Kane. And I think the Harry Kane situation is slightly overblown with how, you know, desperate he is to run away. I, of course, he wanted the city move in the summer, but I think, as you know, a childhood Spurs, Spurs fan, he's not going to be like devastated that he didn't get the move. Arsenal the fan, mate. Arsenal fan. Uh-huh, uh-huh. <laughs> I think the idea that he's like thrown his toys at the pram and he isn't trying this season is is not reality. He's just, he's like, he's not getting the ball. <laughs> he hasn't been getting the ball under Nuno. He wasn't getting it that much towards the end under Mourinho. So, um, but it isn't just Kane because it's also Sun. It's also players we're going to talk about in a minute in the next one. It's kind of Larice, although Larice is obviously getting towards his decline, but it's, it's, um, 
it's sending that message and it's kind of achieved by him arriving, right? It's sending the message to the players that we aren't just going to mess you about. <laughs> you know, we're, we want to, we, we, we're respecting the talent that's at the club and going to make actual use of it. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's fair. And I think on top of that as well, you've got to look at ways that this, this squad is transformed to satisfy the star names that you've got. And I think that, you know, they, they looked at potentially getting in an additional forward in the summer and they couldn't get it done. But they're going to look back down the avenue. I wrote a piece for Eurosport on, on Tuesday and Lautaro Martinez is going to be back on the radar before you know it. Um, I know, like, he's just signed a new contract to Inter, but uh, that is literally just to maintain his value in the market. I'm not saying it's going to be in January, but it could be. And if it's not, they'll go back in for him in the summer. They'll look at other options as well in terms of, you know, just supporting Kane, showing some ambition and building. Conte will want a better squad than he's got. He'll want... Not just in terms of talent, but in terms of enthusiasm and in terms of endeavour. I mean, if somebody like Deli Ali, for example, has had big problems with Mourinho and Nuno, and the reports of a lot of it are to do with work ethic, attitude. And I mean, if you haven't got those two traits under Antonio Conte, you're in big trouble. Now, I'm expecting that Deli does show different traits and he'll probably be quite scared, to be honest. If he if he starts to lack, be a bit slack in training, then, then he'll soon, soon get a rocket out of him and know where he stands. But you're right. I think exciting the star names at the club is something that, that needs to happen. I don't think that was there under Nuno. It wasn't even there under Jose, to be honest, was it? You know, At first, I think they thought he could get a tune out of them and quickly it, the mask slipped and, and that was that. But um, I think if I'm excited as someone who's got absolutely no attachment to Spurs, then... The likes of Harry Kane should certainly be excited about what might be possible. I'm not worried about. I'm not worried about Delhi. I'm not worried about other players who are perceived as lazy. I mean, I, like obviously, I can't tell you what goes on in training, um, but on the pitch, Delhi is a fiery character, and he can be fired up. Sure. He was fired up under Pochettino, and I think that Conte will like that in him. And even since then, all of the time that he has been a maligned player, Delhi's defensive output. His his the distance he covers and all of that has been fantastic throughout. So I I think the idea that he is a lazy player is pretty dramatically overstated. Yeah, agreed. Uh, very much agreed. In fact, and I, I think there's there's something here that's that's interesting in that exciting the star players goes two ways, right? One, it's being in communicative, and we've read all these reports, obviously today, about the fact that Nuno is is quite a kind of icy character, not in a in a disrespectful way, but just in a quite likes things to be calm before he addresses any any issues. He doesn't want it to be too emotional. Conte is almost the exact opposite of that, and whether that's a good or a bad thing is is kind of up for debate in many ways because there are obviously ups and downs to addressing everything when you're in a fiery mood but I suppose half of it is kind of on the training field and that and half of it is as you say given the fact that he is going to have more power in this transfer market making moves that make the other star players look up and go okay yeah that's a player that I want to play with that's someone that can come in and improve this squad and that's a massive part of this as well Definitely. Yeah, it is. But uh, look, there's, there's also a, a dangerous side to all this, which we have to kind of be aware of. And that is that Conte is ruthless and he doesn't care. Um, think back to Diego Costa being dumped by text message at Chelsea. Like if that's Diego Costa and that's how you're treated when he feels that you're not part of his plans, then that could be anyone. That could be Harry Kane if he doesn't want to get on, on side with what he's doing. Like I'm not saying it will be at all, but he doesn't yeah. care about what your reputation is in the game or what your standing is at a football club. If he's decided that you don't fit in with his vision then he'll let you go even if it means that the resulting of that is that he goes about six months later like he doesn't care he'll do things his way yeah absolutely what's in at number three then Nathan 
Number three is... Uh, so th- I didn't mention these plays in the last one, um, but basically get Ndombele and Lacelso run in the midfield. So, oh, I mean, there's a long chronology here. Moussa Ndombele used to run the midfield. He became unfit. We went through a long period of time where midfield was a big issue. We ran a Winks and Sissoko midfield under Pochettino. It was terrible. Eventually, we brought Hoiberg in, but we're still running him alongside Winks and Sissoko. We brought Bayern Ndombele great but he is injured for his first year Mourinho is not that keen on him eventually he brings him in he plays him as a number 10 towards the end he gets to play in midfield things are a little improved there but then things fall apart I think unrelated under Mourinho will become this really really limited counter-attacking team who can't get out their own half almost all of the game so and now we've got Nuno and again a kind of similar thing happens he played a couple of games in midfield things looked really exciting we were moving the ball well solving the problems we had under Nuno then he starts playing him as a number 10 again and like he can play that role but he's not solving our big problem so it's kind of make or break and it's not a completely dissimilar situation with Lo at least one of them like you can't run uh, you know a title contending we're talking about Conte here a title contending midfield with like players who are like a decent on the ball but are primarily ball winners you've got to get some you've got to get a playmaker in there it's got to be Ndombele and or Lo Celso so that is that is a big thing can they play together this is this is the big question and look I, I, I've always kind of favoured the idea that a midfield trio of Hoiberg uh, and Dombolo and Lacelso would actually be quite a nicely balanced trio. But there's also this kind of overwhelming response I've always got when I've spoke about this from Spurs fans who say that Lacelso is just not good enough. And look, I'm a Betis fan. I love, love, love Gio Lacelso to the cows come home. Um, but there is a, a sense that every time his name is mentioned, there's about uh, you know a significant proportion of the Spurs fan base that just not good enough. It's been a frustrating one. I uh, I did a video recently looking at um, his performances for Spurs versus his performances from Argentina. And a lot of it, I think, comes from he always wants to play the ball the way he's facing. Yeah. And so when he's playing under Nuno, when he's playing under Mourinho, a lot of the time he receives the ball from a centre-back, he plays back to the centre-back. Great, we're not getting anywhere. You look at how he plays for Argentina, you've got other playmakers. You've got Rodrigo de Paul, you've got Messi, you've got uh, lots and lots of the ball, you've got opportunities and space. He keeps moving to the touchline to receive. When he receives the ball, he can see the whole game so I think a better coaching setup or what you see under Conte which is you know what you're going to do before you do it right you've rehearsed yeah. the next move um, that's going to really suit him yeah I think they can play together they do need obviously a third more defensively you know an anchor player behind them with that Soibier skip I think that that is an attractive option for Conte you've also got Delhi who can be that sort of late arriver in the box from a midfield position um, so I, I definitely wouldn't be shocked to see the, those two together in the midfield just not alone yeah, absolutely. I mean, it, I suppose with wing backs and three behind them as well, life is yeah. a little bit less, you know, chaotic in terms of defensive recovery, in terms of having the ability to to, to kind of step up and make those things happen. Um, and, and and if there is kind of a Reguillon coming inside and, and delivering, and if Lacelso does take that left-hand side role as his own, as, as I imagine he probably would, there is that space to to expand a little bit further as he does for Argentina, as you say. I think that's it. I think. I mean. I mean. It's. It's kind of make or break. Um, <laughs> yeah. This is. Is this. This is it, isn't it? It's. It's this six months. Yeah. Yeah. I mean. I. I adore both these players. A lot of Spurs fans are so frustrated with them. Um, and as much as I am confident in the ability right now that that at least one of them is going to really shine over the next year or so, if they don't, I have to accept defeat. I think. <laughs> <laughs> You're fair. 
if there's um, a couple of other players to, to come in here and how you know, how this kind of midfield reinvents itself is quite interesting because obviously we've seen Conte play a variety of systems here. We've seen him obviously play that 3-5-2 at Inter to, to great success. We saw him play more of a 3-4-3 at Chelsea. How do you see this side best equipped in, in that regard, especially in, in regards to these two? Is it that midfield three that allows these two to, to develop behind a Kane and Son? Or is there a kind of 3-4-3 here that allows more of a forward line to develop with the likes of Lucas Moura or Stevie Bergwijn or whoever that might be? Um, is that how you see it going forward? Or is it a 3-5-2 that you think we'll see straight away? I'm leaning towards a 3-5-2. Um, but I think that with the likes of Lacelso and Dele, Dele, even whoever is going to be that sort of third man, um, they're both positionally versatile and flexible. So he's got options to experiment with how he wants. And I think the idea of having the front two of Kane and Son is going to be quite attractive. He's also played a bit of four four two in his time, he, or, or what he calls a four two four. So maybe, maybe we'll see him play around with that. He likes to do that when he arrives first at a club. Tried the four two four and then revert to the back three. And I think that, like, yeah, centre-backs, if we want to play three of them at a time, we want another one in January for sure. Someone's playing on the left of that. Left of that three, I think, is yeah. probably probably the immediate concern. Um, okay, cool. Let's go on to the next one, Nathan. Number two, nice and simple for Conte, I think, improved fitness. So obviously you have, uh, going back to Pochettino again, a high-pressing, high-energy, high-demanding style of football and um, younger players, and that's great. But then five years on, those players have got older. There's not been much refreshing in the squads. Players are bored of, of Pochino personally, and so those fitness levels have really fallen through. In comes Mourinho, who is sort of a bit, bit old school with how he does things. And although um, you're not being pushed towards your limits quite as much and you're fresh, you can maybe play twice a week, your, like, your ceiling of fitness is lower. And, and you're, you're, you're getting less sprints in a game, basically, which, yeah, when you've got a packed schedule uh, and everything that happened with the virus is like useful for playing twice a week. But if we want to get back up to, to a high level of football and a high level of fitness, um, we want those sort of <laughs> more rotation. Like Conte is noted for for subbing off his wing backs uh, regularly in games because of the amount of work he asks for them. So I think this is natural and easy. And I do think that it was beginning to trend in the right way under Nuno. He got a lot of um, criticism for the total distance covered stuff. But I think that that is partly his style of play and partly just the low level of fitness that we were starting from. I mean, he did this at, this at Chelsea, Dean, didn't he? Yeah, exactly that. Yeah, I mean, this is just part and parcel of life, isn't it? I mean, let's not forget, you know, like when Mourinho first came into Tottenham, like there were certain issues he had with fitness. And remember when there was, you know, was it in lockdown, wasn't it? When he was within Dombele in a park somewhere, like doing doing shuttle runs or whatever he was doing. There was a few others involved in that. Um, not sure Conte is going to be caught with anyone in a park. He won't need to be, but... <laughs> You know, it's it's just a key element, isn't it, of of becoming part of his team and being accepted in it. And it's something which he'll make sure they get right. Short term, I think it's difficult to implement because, you know, you're coming towards a spell now, like the run up towards Christmas. It's got to be careful. Like we've read a lot about Conte and how he doesn't like to take charge of teams mid-season. And you'd imagine a lot of that's to do with the fact that he likes the pre-season because of how so. fit he gets his team. Now coming in in November, ahead of a busy, the busiest time of a football season, 
it's a different challenge for him for sure and he's going to probably have to approach it slightly differently to how he normally would yeah yeah <laughs> it is a difficult one and and you can see why he's he's reluctant to take over teams but I think we're early enough in the season like it's not January yeah that, um that things can can trend in the right way and maybe it might take a little while to get up to the pace that he wants and and he's going to have to try to do that balance that while we're playing a lot of football because we're playing conference league and two domestic cups yeah Two domestic cups still? <laughs> yeah, two yeah. domestic cups still. Just, yeah, yeah. Just, yeah. Just about. Just about. Um, so yeah, yeah, a lot of football. Uh, it's gonna be it's gonna be difficult, but I, I don't think it's beyond him for sure. I think you mentioned there, Nathan, the the rotation, and there's maybe an important point here that there was, you know, I've been reading about the things this morning, and there's this kind of sense that with Nuno, you're either in or you're out, right? You were you were part of the first team set up, or you were kind of part of this sort of quasi B team that the way would play in other games. And and I suppose with Conte and with the amount of work rate and the fact that there are going to be ups and downs in terms of injuries, if you if you ask players to work this hard, you're gonna have to have players who are willing to to, to rotate into the system and, and do their best. And and I suppose for for a lot of players, and especially you know for these wing backs who have they're about to go through a a big change, you'd imagine if it were with what's going on here, and the likes of someone, for example, like Ryan Sessegnon or Matt Doherty, who haven't really featured. Obviously, there's a there's a vested Ryan Sessegnon interest here from both Dean and mm-hmm. I, but um, but on the whole, you know, you've seen players not really featuring, and, and not sure that not sure that Sess is really a, a wing back at the best of times. But if he is going to feature as part of this system, you're looking at him and going right okay there's opportunities here for players who might have been not necessarily in the dark or cast out but players who just weren't being able to break through the kind of glass ceiling from Nuno it's going to be massively important for those players to be rehabilitated into this rotation I mean Sessegnon and Doherty as as players who like to sort of from wing back positions be goal threats is it's a stylistic perfect match um, for Doherty, the downside is his sort of defensive game, his his general sluggishness, his his lack of comfort on the ball, that kind of stuff. Young, I think, is more of a situation of, of confidence. And if that confidence isn't coming from him, but Conte can lend it to him, Conte can light a fire under him and, and give him some character and some self-belief and, and some trust, subbing him on 15, 20 minutes at the end of the game to be the second-choice wing-back and maybe grab himself a goal because because he likes goals from his wing backs. I think that could be a really, really good combination. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Which leaves us with one big one left to go. <laughs> so this is important, but it is also very easy for Conte, which is structure our possession. This is how we played before. Again, going back to Pochettino and then under Mourinho and under, you know, it's much more the players sort of making it up as they go along. Daniel Levy again talked in the summer about playing attacking, free-flowing Spurs DNA football, which I believe that he means, but I don't know if he knows what that means, right? <sighs> so much um, is talked about sort of individual freedom and freedom is what we saw right under Mourinho but it's hard to to invent up on the fly you know 50 80 100 goals a season against set defenses Conte he decides how exactly every part is going to be played and it's 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 um run through the players again and again in sessions coning drills patterns over and over again and I think that's perfect for us I think that We'll, we'll be working the ball through midfield. Maybe Ndombele is, is the one player who gets a bit of license to invent around outside of that because of his because of his abilities. Um, but but having structure, having organisation to what we want to do on the ball and how we want to do it, 
we're going to see the ball at, at Kane's feet a lot. We're going to see Sun through on goal a lot. And I think that that is um, a guaranteed way to score a lot of goals. Um, bring wins to us, bring uh, a much, much better feeling around the club, get the best out of individual players. It's what we've been screaming out for for a long time. It ties in nicely with what you were saying before, though, as well, Nathan, in that, you know, you're looking at players here and especially in the midfield who have lacked imagination, right? And with this system and with Conte coming in, they don't necessarily need that imagination. They need to do what, what they've been instructed to do week in, week out in, in training. And, and it kind of takes that creative burden, not necessarily off them in terms of you can't create, but it takes the burden off. You have to invent everything on the spot, as you say. And that, yeah. that's a that's a really important thing because... You know, there are obviously certain players who love that responsibility. You're going to find there are players in the world who want that. They want to go, yeah, give me the ball and I'll make it all, I'll make it all happen myself. You look at Memphis, you look at Neymar, those kind of players who just want to be given the freedom to do what they like. Most players on the whole will be like, okay, I'd like to have the ability to, to sometimes think on the spot, but also if there isn't anything on, I can revert to something that I know and trust and therefore can continue to make things work without necessarily having to create everything by myself every time we get the ball so again this is kind of the thing with with both Nuno and Mourinho is that like okay you aren't heavily organizing what we're going to do when we have the ball you aren't you aren't using structural creativity but you're also picking like defensively safe options for your midfielders as well so those in combination across two managers has been like you've got to have one you've got to lean on one you've got to lean either on the individual or you've got to lean on the structure I think Conte will give us both at the same time and that will be that'll be quite something is there a, a real sense I suppose and it comes into this of excitement not just because it's Conte and because of the way that you know we've brought in a, a serial winner etc cetera, etc cetera. Um, but kind of just it feels like over the last especially over the last couple of months with Nuno, but even before that, the, the kind of fun had gone out of uh, of Spurs fans. And, and we were talking about different elements of, of different managers. And I was talking about Vieira with Dean on, on Monday's podcast. And we were saying, you know, the results haven't always been perfect, right? You can, you, it's upsetting if you concede in the 93rd minute to your rivals at home. That's, that's a deeply upsetting thing. But because Palace have been really fun to watch, fans are kind of just completely on board with the concept, even when things don't go their way. And there is that sense that Tottenham have lost that excitement of, oh, can I just avoid match day if, if possible? And this brings that back in. That's a massive bonus in terms of atmosphere, in terms of crowd, but also just in terms of feeling positive about your football club again. I mean, as someone whose job is to watch, think, and talk about Spurs every day, it's been a hard couple of years. I'm not <laughs> going to lie to you, man. I mean, like it's yeah, like you said, it's okay to lose. You know, it's okay to to draw. It's okay to fall short of the result that you want. But you have to have that feeling that we're heading in a direction. Again, Conte isn't like a long term direction kind of guy, but you know that like if he loses his first game, if he draws his second game. He's building a type of football, like the players are learning a style. They're learning the patterns. They're learning the combinations. They're learning the position and the role. Whereas under Nuno and Mourinho, it was just the same every week. There was no, there was no progression. There was no building towards something. It was just try to get through the next game. And so, yeah, if we lose, if we lose three games on the bounce under Conte, we're still going to be excited for the match after that. Yeah. 
So it's a massive bonus, a massive bonus. I mean, we've done similar at Fulham. We've had ups and downs, but obviously those years where you lose every game are incredibly sad to, you know, do you, you have to come back on afterwards and talk about them? You're like, I just don't, I just don't want to. I don't want to do it. And, <laughs> and it gets to that point where it starts to become a chore, not a, not something that you look forward to. And that should never be the case with the football club. Nathan, I mean, I'm going to let you go in a second, but just before we do, what's the what do you see foresee as the, as the rest of this season? Is it more I'm happiness? I'm suggesting that Spurs are gonna Spurs are gonna go on, that's a given. Spurs are gonna come in and, and challenge for a Champions League place. Now I'm not well, I'm not saying they can't, I'm not saying they will. I'm just saying what would be the kind of what's the not expectation, but the feeling that what, what you could achieve now for the rest of this season? I think Champions League spots are up for grabs. I think that the the league's in a, a bit of a funky state at the moment. I think it's I think it's definitely doable. I think the, the squad absolutely has the capacity. I think Conte is an outstanding short-term coach um so champions league this season i think is is looking pretty pretty tasty and then depending on how much we spend over the next couple of windows beyond that for the year after yeah absolutely Which, and right. that's the end of Conte's contract <laughs> yeah, yeah, then, the then you'll be gone right that, that'll be that and uh, we just hope he, uh, he goes away quietly at the exit door as you as you said as your first point Nathan thank you so much for joining us it's been a real pleasure talking about Spurs and about Conte um, and just let your listeners know where they can find you if they want to find out more so I'm on Twitter at Nathan A. Clark and the podcast is at the extra inch okay thank Nathan you. thank you so much for joining us it's been a real pleasure Buonasera. Welcome back to the Ranks FC podcast and thank you once again to Nathan for all his thoughts on Spurs and Conte. Dean, just before we move on to the usual closing suspects, I think it might be just nice to quickly get a, a handle on what's going on in terms of Spurs in the market. What have you heard so far? Well, as part of Conte coming in, he, um, it's fair to say they've spoken about transfer plans and the kind of money that he might be given my understanding is it will be about 150 million that he'll have to spend in the next year. That's what they're kind of putting out there as a as a general figure for where they they could be heading. I think it makes sense that you'll see. I mean, it already started before he even came into the job. Is that he's been linked with Serie A names? I mean, I just talked about Lautaro in the in the main part there, but um, there will be other other people coming into that. Um, wouldn't be surprised to hear Vlavic come back into there. Um, you know, Skriniar, people like that. They'll all be linked in the coming weeks. I mean, look, over the next week, you'll you'll hear probably 20 names linked to Tottenham. Um, and some of them will be bang on. Some of them will just be, um, well, punt in the dark, really. But ultimately, yeah, they are going to invest in the squad because they, they kind of have to as part of this investment. And like I said, Nuno was kind of a cheap option. They didn't really spend much money. They were hoping they could get by with the talent that was already there and they, they couldn't. They, they've now got to really amp things up. And I think that, you know, it's, it's a problem since start. Like even seeing um, images of Conte standing there with a Tottenham shirt, it's mad. Like it's mad. Just that in its own will give everybody attached to the club a lift. So, you know, they'll, the players will be more excited the board will now have a new excitement about him, a new verve. Um, and Joe Lewis, who you know is the billionaire basically behind Tottenham, is willing to put his hand into his pocket as part of this with Daniel Levy and make sure that they don't get left behind because they've, you know, this has been a big warning for them, like how quickly you can fall off a cliff, you know, to go in from a side that got to a Champions League final to where they are today is pretty crazy. 
but it just goes to show like a year, so much can happen in a year. And um, from losing Pochettino and potentially losing Harry Kane and changing manager and the, you know, the fallout from Mourinho, like the whole place was just rattled. And now they need to retain some composure, get themselves and go again. And and that means in the market as well as um, in the dugout. Okay. Well, we'll be returning, I imagine, uh, closer to the time as things start to heat up in terms of their transfer business, their transfer activity. Um, it's yeah. still very early. Let me dig in a little bit before we get to Jan. Yeah. Well, it's the start of November, so you can't imagine the yeah. much is going to be moving just yet. But there are obviously it will, going to be the agents already at work. Don't quickly. you worry about that. Oh, absolutely no doubt whatsoever. All right then, mate. It's time for my favourite part of the week. It's time for Melon of the Week. This week's Melon of the Week is Gremio supporters. Now, that's quite a large... That's a, a large, big, that's a lot of melons. Yeah, how, many, how much money have you got in the tank for melons sending melons of the week? I don't have all their names, unfortunately, These this bunch, but um, they are a bunch of melons. So what happened was that the players from Gremio were forced to take refuge in the dressing room on Sunday after their fans stormed the pitch after a 3-1 defeat to Palmeiras. They invaded the pitch. They smashed up the VAR system after a goal was controversially ruled out that would have brought them level, would have made it 2-2, but they didn't count. It was, it was ruled out for offside. And then they conceded a third goal in stoppage time. The fans went absolutely mental about this. As I say, they smashed up the VAR system. They smashed up the pitch side interview stuff. They they took photographers' cameras and smashed them up. Riot police had to come onto the scene. It looks like Gremio are going to get a 10-match stadium closure. They're going to be hit with a massive fine, like millions potentially. <laughs> it's really ridiculous. It's totally melanish behavior from grown men who really should know better. Yeah, there was a lot, wasn't it? I think this is my, my, my take on the matter was it was a lot. We've all wanted to smash uh, up a VAR screen, but no one's done it. This lot have. Well, they have now. Yeah, like they have now. This is They've, they've taken it to the extreme. But look, that's what, that's what football does to you, mate. It does funny things <laughs> yeah, to people. Yeah, it does do funny but things yeah. to you. I, you know, I don't know if I should say it's funny, but it is a little bit funny. It's mad scenes. You do feel for the players a little bit, but like also it's just like one of those where everything is just being turned over and you're like, oh God, there's lots there's lots going on here. Lots Not sure what difference on. it makes smashing up the VAR equipment, but there you go. Okay. Yeah, indeed, indeed. All right. Wow, that was a Gibberish long one. Alarm. Yeah. Okay, so yet um, again, I'm on duty because Sam's not here again. And even when he is here... Stick no tyres back. Yeah, stick no. And even when he is here, he doesn't do gibberish. I mean, it's basically part of my full-time job now, so I need a pay rise. This week, things I hate about autumn. Okay. Oh, it's it's a classic. This is a, re- this is a revival. It is a classic, yeah. We need to revisit it. Um, haven't done it since the old days. I think there might be two new ones on here. We'll see. Number three. My, it's nice. I caveat this at the beginning with autumn is probably my favorite season. <sighs> I love autumn. Rubbish. Man. Like I, I love the fact that like it's cold and bright. Like my favorite. No, that's not a good thing. You'd never know what to wear. My favorite combination of things is a big coat and sunglasses. That's why I'm like. That's when I'm happiest. We had this debate yesterday when we were walking into live score or out of live score that you just don't know how to dress. Like, did I? I had my big coat on yesterday. Wasn't sure if I needed it. And if I hadn't needed it, it would have been a pain carrying that around all day. So that. Isn't actually in my top three, but I should have been. The thing I hate, number three, is 
the Christmas build-ups began. So here we are. It even begun before November, to be honest. I saw when I got back from America, like August the 12th or whatever it was, I went uh, October the 12th, I went into a um, garden centre near me. All the Christmas stuff's there, everything. The whole Half the shop's been taken over by Christmas. Like, two and a half months away. Two and a half months. And here we go, like everyone revving up, being told to panic buy basically because all the toys are going to run out. Um, there's going to be delivery shortages of drivers. So everyone's sort to buy their Christmas present. It's one day. It's, it's one day and there's a two-month panic up before it even arrives. It was supposed to enjoy this day. And I do generally enjoy Christmas. I do like Christmas Day. It's, it's a lovely family day. But do we need two months build up to it that starts in autumn and overshadows what would be a much better season if Christmas wasn't coming. Like everyone talks about how much they love autumn, yet all they talk about they, they, the whole thing is built around this day in winter. Ridiculous. Yeah, I, I actually completely agree with this point, which is oh, not what I expected when you said that you you were gonna you were gonna hate on my, my season. Um but I completely agree. I don't think you should be playing Christmas music before December 1. Um, I think that you should be able to, you know, to really dial in. Winter for me is December, January, February. They're the three winter months, right? Spring sort of starts end of Feb. because a little bit of crossover. But on the whole, autumn is, you know, this kind of golden season where the leaves are falling down and everything's turning colours and the, everything happens. And Look, I'm not massive on Halloween, but I love fireworks night. Fireworks night's my favourite. Um, so I love this kind of point of the year but it really winds me up when i walk into a shop and um you know i'm trying i'm listening to rocking around the christmas tree and it's october 30th i'm like what's going on here like we haven't even had halloween yet we haven't had fireworks night yet you know this is all for december give december its due right december is great because you get all of this you get the build up to christmas everyone's having a good time it's all very christmasy everyone's having a nice time but i don't need that in november and i definitely don't need it in october like <laughs> you know we're we're in this we're in a different bit of the year here yeah it's it, it Stops you from giving the real due to the real season. You know, this is this is about like nice, nice flavors, nice colors. Everyone's having a good time in autumn, as long as it's not Christmas, and that is frustrating. Yeah, yeah, that's a fair point. Right at number two, um, it's spiders and their webs. So this is a leftover from summer, um, and I have got. So many spider webs around the outside of my house. It is absolutely ridiculous. One of them has been camped out for the last two months. I can, well, I could have killed him by now, but. You should I, have charged him rent. I may. He's living rent free. Um, <laughs> Literally. It in is, your noggin. It, it is winding me up. So we have these like doors leading out into the garden. And this web, it's got to be two or three foot long, right? And it's constantly there, even if I get the ump with it one day and I get the broom and chop a couple of the edges off so that he falls back down into the olive tree where he clearly has come from. Um, it's back up the next day. I wake up the next morning, this huge web is back there attached to the patio doors. And I'm like, oh, mate. As I say, I could kill him, but I haven't brought myself to go that far with it because I'm not sure he deserves it. The other confusion I have is I don't know if you've ever how closely you look at spiders, but there's this one called the Noble False Widow that has like a skull, a picture of a skull on its back. It's like pretty scary. It's like Sons of Anarchy stuff. And I'm like, this is weird. 
and that kind of scares me. And the garden spider, which is what is living all around my house, it turns out, because I've, I've had to do some research just to see whether these things can bite the kid. The garden spider actually is fine, hence why he's still alive. But it has this really, really weird, like, cross on its back. It's like R.I.P. It's like, mate, chill out. Like, I wouldn't mind you so much if you didn't have this really intimidating cross on your back. Um, so, yeah, spiders and their webs is really annoying. And especially the playground set that the kids have got in the garden. Every day, every day, the spider webs are back. And I forget, like most days forget, that they're going to be in these certain places and you walk through one and a spider web ends up in your face or in your hair. That winds me up. So, yeah, spiders and their webs, another thing that is ruining autumn. No, I like spiders. I like spiders because like, you see little spiders in your house and I know that they're eating all the other like flies and stuff. I've got a lot. Of, they're, they're looking after me. They're, they're eating the mosquitoes. They're making sure. At the moment, I've got a ladybird infestation. Oh, dear. Um, which sounds... That's not good. Which sounds... Well, it is 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 it, there is ups and downs, right? It's probably better than having any other type of infestation because ladybirds are quite nice and they're like pretty harmless. Um, but they also they basically when ladybirds get comfortable, they release a pheromone which invites other ladybirds to the party. So basically, every time I get rid of like ten ladybirds, like another ten turn up the next day. So it's not it's not ideal. But to be honest, if there was going to be any creature that wanted to infest the flat, like ladybirds are pretty pleasant. I don't know. Nice I, reckon, I reckon you could make a pretty weird like horror movie out of ladybirds because of that exact reason. You th you think you're not scared of them, but I reckon like there's some dark side to ladybirds. Nah, nah, they're, they're well nice. They just but like they keep inviting their mates over. It's basically like having a house party, right? And someone you don't really know turns up, and then they just keep texting their mates, being like, "Well, good house party here." And you're like, "No, no, no, no!" Like you're not, you're a bit harmless. I'm not worried about you being here, but like you can't just keep bringing your mates. Like it's, it's not fair. Yeah, maybe. That's basically the the equivalent. But on the whole, spiders tend to like keep out the other bugs, right? Which is why they do. And that, one of the reasons around. again that this spider's still alive. And he has been alive a long time now. Um, it's because the kids actually like looking at him because he's right up against the window and like a lot of light comes in. So you can see really clearly the web and the spider and the flies that are getting caught. And it's mad the way that they wrap up the flies or whatever they've yeah. caught. And they like literally almost like mummify them. They wrap them up. And then, and then they you, munch them. you'll go along later on and they'll have one and they'll be like eating it. And obviously it takes like about a week to eat a fly. But um, just watching the process, it's pretty interesting to be fair. It's a but, bit like having a, a David Attenborough documentary on your doorstep. Yeah, I mean, cool. hit me up in the DMs. Should I kill the spider or not? No, don't kill the spider. Don't kill the spider. <laughs> I, I, I'm with you in that if there was a spider with a like, scary cross on its back, I'd be like, whoa. Mate, that false widow with the, with the skull yeah. on its back is, is weird. It's very yeah, weird. I'm a, I'm a bit out. Anyway, right, number anyway one, what's number one? We know what number one is. It's, it's the leaves. leaves it's it? the leaves and how slippery they get. I, I moved yeah, house, obviously. Leaves. In lockdown, I moved house. And it was in preparation for fall. Um, we we moved at the end of the summer, last summer, and it's because I couldn't stand, it's not because of this, but we did have a lot of trees in where I used to live. And it was like we had a path that leads down to the side entry to our house where the door was. And it was a nightmare when it rained. And it does rain all the time in October and November. And it was so dangerous 
with how slippery those leaves become, those stupid yellow leaves. Um, and, you know, having kids, you have to think about these things. Like, it's bad enough if I fall. Nobody wants that. But if a small kid falls, then it, it's just leading to a lot of crying and potentially a trip to A&E. So uh, nobody needs that. I'm happy, very happy that the road I now live down Apart from in the back garden, there's no leaves. There's no leaves out the front because there's no trees outside anyone's houses. Um, it's all just driveways and stuff, and and that is good news. The only person that did have a tree cut it down about two months ago. And while I'm not usually a fan of seeing trees cut down because pretty pretty bleak in these times to see stuff like that happen, but I was delighted to be honest because I was like, well, that that's some less leaves that's going to cause me a problem in a couple of months. I'm getting to that age now, Jack where things like this can have a serious impact on my mental well-being. Um, I spend a lot of time indoors, as you know. I don't go out as much as I used to. So you look out the window and you're watching these things and studying them. And the less leaves there are on the road, I know there's less chance of getting hurt, less chance of me being depressed and bothered and hurt. Um, and that leads to a happier me. So wet leaves are the bane of autumn. But the only good thing about this is so far this autumn, I haven't been affected by them. Apart from, actually, that's not true, is it? That path that leads to live score, that's going to get me. That path to live score that comes out of the park into the entrance, that's going to get me. Yeah, no, it's a, it's a scary. I mean, you're going to have to start taking the main road again. So I am going to have gonna to start, start going the other route down the main road to avoid the trees. It takes about five minutes longer, doesn't it? Yeah, Sam and I are going to be taking the shortcut if Sam ever comes back to work. Um, and then you, you're going to be you're going to be walking around a long way on your own to avoid the leaves. It's all right, mate. You, we'll get you a little stick, or I can I can give you my arm, and you can you can <laughs> steady through it. Make sure that you don't well, fall over. We, I, got, we can't be having now, that. No, yeah, you are at that age. Me now, and Ebra. Exactly. Exactly. Well, very good. Very good. I, I mean, I disagree with you on on the whole, but you, you've you've given you've given some good reasonings there, so I'll uh, I'll accept it. Accept it. I will remain though steadfast in my belief that autumn is the glorious season. Enjoy it. Love it. You enjoy it, mate. Enjoy the next month. How, was, how long is left? I will it? do. When does it end? Well, pretty much end of November, isn't it? Yeah, you've got three weeks left. Winter. You've got three weeks left or so. Yeah, sort okay. of. We're just starting to get into those two. Autumn and spring for me. Mm. Winter then, and then summer last because I hate the heat. Um, but you know, I, I feel like I am a little bit of an anomaly in, the, yeah, in, in that regard. Absolutely right. And with that, I think it's probably time to call this a day and all that's left for me to do. So thank you very much to Dean Jones. Well, cheers, mate. Thank you very much to Nathan Clark, who joined us to talk about Conte and Spurs. Make sure you go out and check out his podcast, The Extra Inch, if you want more Spurs content. I've been Jack Collins. This has been Ranks FC. Thank you so much for listening, as ever. We'll see you next week, gang. Take it easy. Peace.